I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got a special treat. I have Kristen Warfield. She's the Vice President of Partnerships at Churchill Downs. She oversees growing partnership program at the historic track that since 1875 has been the home of the Kentucky Derby. The Kentucky Derby happens this week as this podcast launches. Uh, We recorded this a couple weeks ago, but I encourage you to take a listen to this. If you're in the partnerships business, if you like racing, if you like a little bit of alcohol, some fashion, there's no better place, no better home than the Kentucky Derby. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kristen Warfield. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. I'm excited to talk about the Derby and and all things racing, etc. But before we go there, I've had people on this show that, you know, had potential backup careers as a um, bartender, you know, uh, a farm stand salesperson. But I hear you've taken the cake. Uh, I hear that you have you have a backup career as Bingo the Clown. Do I have that right? 
Well, yeah, but hopefully, I really hope it never comes to to that where I have to go back to that. <laughs> Although it was great while I was sixteen, so I got a job at a, a local restaurant. I was living in New York at the time, and my friend's older sister was working there, and they needed another hostess. And so I was thinking this was my first day on the job as a hostess at a restaurant, and um, they did little kids' birthday parties in the afternoons, and the clown didn't show up. And I guess this was my early demonstration of leadership skills. I don't know. I, I volunteered to be the clown. And apparently I was the best clown they had had in a long time. And so I was then forevermore the clown. <laughs> and I did clown parties as my first job. So it was, uh, it was actually kind of fun, but definitely not a career path that I would like to go back to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got skills. You know, you can always, if, if you ever need them, they're there, right? I can tie off a balloon, put it between my legs, and jump like the best of them. I'll tell you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, let, let, let's talk about your current job. Did you did you always see yourself as the vice president of partnerships at an iconic racing organization like the Churchill Downs, which is the home of the Kentucky Derby? For everyone that doesn't know that, no, I didn't. I mean, I knew I didn't want to be the clown forever, <laughs> but I, I really, I, I kind of. I started off college pre-med, so clearly that didn't work out. <laughs> but I um, sort of fell into, because of physically where I went to college, I fell into sports by way of NASCAR in the Daytona Beach area in Florida. Um, and so my early career was in the NASCAR industry for almost 15 years through racetrack properties and motorsports organizations overseeing um, actually the retirement season of, of Mark Martin with Roush Racing and AAA and then the rookie season of David Reagan. And, and that was really fun. But no, I didn't see myself in sports at all. Um, and then, you know, here I am like 25 years in to a sports career where I've gone from motorsports to action sports to horse racing, which has been really, really incredible. That's amazing. It's a small world. I grew up in North Carolina, in Concord, North Carolina. And uh, so I, in the summers, would clean NASCAR racers pools from Rusty Wallace to Kenny Wallace to, uh, and I guess I went to high school. He was, a, his kids were a little younger than me, but, uh, Rusty Wallace's kids went to high school with me. Charlotte was sort of a second home for the, for the time that I was in NASCAR in Daytona. I knew my way around Charlotte and Concord and all the, the surrounding cities just as well as I knew my way around Daytona. Got as many New York, uh, North Carolina traffic tickets too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And there's a, there's a, I have my, my first traffic ticket. Uh, this is a way down the rabbit hole, but my first traffic ticket was between the, uh, what is now the Charlotte Motor Speedway and the university area where UNC Charlotte sits, uh, because I was stocking grocery store shelves and trying to get from one store to the other. And the cops like to hang out right in that strip of Highway 29. Anyway, way off the rails now. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. Let's talk Kentucky Derby. And what makes the Kentucky Derby so unique? So it's more than sports, right? And it's, it's elements that I didn't realize until I got here, right? And so I came to Churchill Downs in 2009. And, you know, that was sort of the height of everything in, in sports at that point, right? And I figured, oh, it's going to be so similar, right? It's, it's you know, 165,000 people. That's what NASCAR is. And, you know, I just didn't realize all the additional layers surrounding this event. It is more than sports. It's sports. It's entertainment. It's lifestyle. 
it combines so many different passion points. You know, there's fashion, there's food and drink, there's just all levels of entertainment that is so different. And I've been around the block to a lot of different sporting events and I've seen nothing like this and, and just sat there kind of with my jaw hanging open. I started about two weeks before the Kentucky Derby, the first year that I was here. Um, and just sort of had the great opportunity to, to be at the track without too much responsibility that first year to be able to absorb it and take it all in. And it was absolutely amazing. You know, it's very different than NASCAR to your point earlier. Like NASCAR, it's all about the race. Like you're literally watching a race for a couple hours, maybe longer sometimes, depending on how many wrecks there are. But I think we talked about before in another conversation that it's two minutes of racing every hour. So there's a lot of socializing going on. Yeah, it's a great forum, whether you're here to socialize or whether you're here for business entertainment. You know, you really are. We've got 13 or 14 different races throughout the day, but that's still 30 minutes that you have to focus and pay attention in aggregate. So you've got this great environment to be able to do other things and still experience the full experience of the sport while you're there. And, you know, there's not whether you're with clients or with friends or with family, you know, you've got all that downtime to take in the event and absorb all the things that are happening around the property and different than anything else. Yeah. And well, and not to mention uh, you get dressed up, you know, I'm not in my t-shirts and my shorts and slinging my diet, my light beer cans around, you know, like it's high class in my opinion. <laughs> You do. And that was one of my, you know, I sort of expected someone to hand me like my logoed polo shirt and my ball cap with the matching logo on it. And no, even as staff, you're dressed up. I mean, you do the day in high heels and a dress and I have a Milner and I have a stylist that helps me pick out my outfit. And I mean, it is, it's all the way done. It is not your, you know, you're not walking around in, in tennis shoes and khaki pants and a, a polo shirt at this event. You are done all the way up. And that's part of the fun. Right. That's part of the whole, you know, where else do you have the opportunity to wear that seersucker suit and that bow tie and that incredibly elegant custom designed hat? Right. Only if you live in Charleston, South Carolina, can you wear that every day? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love Charleston, South Carolina for those that are there. My, my father-in-law lives down there and it, it cracks me up every time I go down. Um, I think that's the lawyer outfit. But let's talk, you've been developing and maintaining like partnerships in the sports industry, you know, NASCAR and now Kentucky Derby with Churchill Downs for a long time. 2020, I'm, I had to have thrown a monkey wrench in everything. And 2021 is, is really, we're slightly better, um, but it's still, you know, we're still coming out of this social distance world, if you will, in the pandemic how has it changed for you guys? And, and what do you think will kind of maybe stick, if anything? COVID's still a really big part of the conversation. Um, and a lot of our partners have altered the way that they're activating and, and really have changed their overall marketing strategy, which ripples down to changing the way that they activate around the Derby. And, and that's kind of led to more of a focus on digital marketing and engaging with consumers in new ways in general. And so, you know, the Derby's always been about more than the audience on site, right? We talked a minute ago about what happens at the track. For those who aren't familiar with the property, we are on a very geographically constrained postage stamp sized racetrack. And so, you know, we've done millions and millions of dollars of renovations over the last, you know, five or 10 years. 
and we've added a tiny, tiny bit of capacity in that. We've, we've improved the experience greatly, but our record attendance, which we are certainly not going to break this year, was a little bit over 170,000 people. And that's about where it's going to stay. You know, we're not going to be an event that has 300,000 people or 400,000 people on property. We can never physically get that big just because of the size of our footprint. So it's always been about more than those that are in attendance on site. And so focusing online even more so, you know, this year, we've uncovered a lot of new things and, and new ways to amplify that engagement. And so when you really think about it, you know, we'll probably end up, I don't know, we've, we've opened general admission um, to a limited degree last week. I don't have a crystal ball. I guess we'll be somewhere between 35 and 45,000 people maybe on property. So you're down, I don't know, a hundred and I can't do math, 125-ish thousand people, 150,000 people maybe, but that's nothing. You know, when you, we've more than made that up in increased reach online already. And so shifting to the online focus is really what's made things work out for the partners. That's great. And, I, you know, you've got longstanding partners. I mean, one that stands out is Woodford Reserve. I mean, I'm a bourbon drinker, so like, I, that one stands out for me. But give me some, if you don't mind, like, I'd love a couple of examples of like how people, how your, how your partners are shifting, you know, to these digital, digital and virtual activations. So, you know, I guess overall, right, last year, digital was, like I just said, the one bright spot of 2020. And just to, to quantify that a little bit for, the, for those listeners who like the data, our total impressions were down 19%, but our total engagements were up 148%. So, I mean, that's substantial. We also pivoted. We've always focused on Kentucky Derby Party. So we pivoted that to Kentucky Derby at home, obviously, party and COVID don't blend well together. <laughs> and, and we've built a, a whole bunch of new content for fans to engage with. And Woodford was actually a part of that. And we took, we had, I call it real derby and fake derby last year, <laughs> because we did some stuff on the first Saturday in May, which is when everybody comes to expect the Kentucky Derby to happen, which it didn't last year. And then it actually happened in September um, and so we had really two bites at the apple of what do we give people online and what do we build there? And so we took the key learnings from both of those and are continuing to refine and amplify that. But some of that is, you know, we've got an at-home menu that we are engaging with our chef. We've got bourbon ambassadors. We've got, you know, people that we pull in from our partners like Brown Foreman um, some of our new partners will be pulling in as well and just creating these really interactive and or live segments online. It seems like, I mean, uh, to your earlier point, the digital was a bright spot, but I mean, this probably makes your property more attractive, more, more inherently you can reach more people um, with this focus on, you know, a digital activation and, and, Ex greatly expand your reach for sure. For sure. And that's always actually been a goal of Woodford Reserve. It has, you know, before, right, the, the partnership with Woodford grew from being the official bourbon to being the presenting sponsor of the Kentucky Derby itself before COVID was a thing. And one of the goals of that partnership was to get a bottle of Woodford Reserve at every derby party. So it's always been the off-site component, much more so than the on-site component. And, you know, they, they, they're building step-by-step -step instructions for doing at-home bourbon tastings. 
right? And so that's, you know, bourbon, bourbon is also something pre-COVID or unrelated to COVID that is a burgeoning opportunity for people to engage with separate from Derby. And so you kind of put bourbon and Derby together, which is a natural fit, and it gets even bigger and more amplified. And you can do it at home. If you want to stay in your yoga pants, you can. If you've been in your yoga pants for 12 months and you're sick of it, you can dress up, right? People dress up at derby parties at home, right? You you wear hats, you wear the clothing. Vineyard Vines is a great example of that. That partnership is, is you know, decade long at this point. And people, they, they sell not just to people coming to the derby. They sell that line of clothing to people that are wearing it to celebrate many, many other places beyond at the racetrack. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's quite the extension for sure. And no one would ever look at the pandemic as a as a bright spot, but maybe this helped codify some of these extensions for you guys and for your partners thinking about how to extend things further. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's a bright spot, but you know, I think we've definitely done a, a good job making lemonade out of the lemons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think we would have rather it not happen for a whole host of reasons. You know, when we last talked, you, you mentioned cross collaborations, you know, partners teaming up to to do things together. Any examples come to mind as it relates to how the, that's taken place? Yeah, we always try to do that. And back in the day when people could travel, we would get together and do annual partner summits where we would, you know, explore the ways in which our partners could work together. But, you know, this year it's it's taking largely a digital format. And, and we do have some great examples like Coca-Cola and Kroger. So Coke created a, a virtual game that consumers can play on their phones. And you're basically, you're racing the racetrack as a, from a jockey's perspective. And you're winning Kroger prizes weekly. So on our opening night with our bugler, so we have a, Steve Buttleman is the official track bugler, and he's actually going to play it on opening night and on Derby Day, kind of live in competition with the fans. And so what has happened so far is leading up to these live competitions um, with Steve, which is kind of cute and creative and interesting and fun. And then we also have a, a collaborative promotion um, with Smithfield and Ford. It's a, a bet on bacon Twitter promotion. And basically you're, <laughs> um, you have the opportunity to win a Mustang. You've got all my favorite things now. You've got bourbon, bacon. I like Ford Mustangs, but I'm not a big Ford person, but, but I'll take a Mustang with some bourbon and bacon. Yeah. I don't know. You get behind the wheel of that thing. And I mean, it's kind of hard to not like it. Well, so. exactly. And I'm really excited about the electric version that, that it just brought out. That's pretty amazing. And it looks phenomenal too. So haven't had a chance to test drive. Well, what brought us together was this, the news of uh, the Jackson Family Wines Partnership. And um, in essence, my understanding is Kendall Jackson and Crema uh, will be poured at all events, including the T Kentucky Derby. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, 
they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. That Churchill Downs offers. And what can you tell me about this deal and, and how it came about? Yeah, so this was an interesting one. Um, so it's a, a long-term partnership with Kendall Jackson and La Crema. So two brands within their portfolio that'll be poured throughout the venue. And then we also have some opportunities to um, feature things offsite as well. So they'll be integrated into, with both brands, um, will be integrated into some of the Derby at Home food and wine pairings. Um, they'll be activating on-site actually throughout Derby Week. There's going to be a text to win sweepstakes, leveraging actually Derby 2022, where we all hope that things will be normal and, and people can come and have a full-blown Derby week experience in 2022. And it came to be, it's actually really an interesting story. So there's a lot of overlay between um, the Jackson family outside of their wine business with horse racing. So you know, they've also been involved in the the horse racing and breeding industry since probably the early 2000s um, through Stone Street Farm. And so their founder, we've known her for quite some time. And this is really kind of combining her two passions on this great global stage, right? It's just a natural connection. They've never really done a sponsorship of this scope and scale before. So actually starting with a pandemic-reduced um crowd on site is going to be a good pilot test for them. Because can you imagine going from, you know, zero to 170,000? It's kind of nice to have that stepping stone of let's test the waters and then, you know, see where we go and, and absolutely grow from here. But it's a great multi-layered, right? It, on the surface, it's Kendall Jackson and La Crema. But really, when you kind of peel back those layers, it's multi-level when you consider also the horse racing and breeding components of of that partnership and how deep that goes. Well, in in a couple episodes from now, we'll talk to Bill O'Connor, who's the, I think, a chief sales officer for Jackson Family Wines. And so we'll get his his take too. But it does seem like, I mean, to your point, like with Barbara Banke, who's the chairman and one of the founders of Jackson Family Wines, the family's combination of wine and racing i didn't know until recently that like that whole wine business started when um i guess jess jackson was uh the late founder barbara's husband and when he was in his 50s after a successful law career so he, it was more of a passion play and then I believe that's how the horse racing part came to play too. And I, I just want his luck streak, but frankly, like him and Barbara, I mean, like everything they do, they, they like knock it out of the park. And it seems like a, a perfect combination to, to partner with you guys that you got racing and wine and, and it's a passion of theirs. I have a feeling that you'll be more successful after, after just being around Barbara. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, well, there's a few paths on that, right? So, you know, what better combination than racing and wine, right? Think back to the, you've got, you're here for 14 races and there's 30 minutes of activity, right? And, and, and just the, the demographic overlay, and I'll, I'll get more into this, I think in a minute, but you know, the, the reason why this partnership makes sense for the wine brands specifically is because the demographics match perfectly, 
with, you know, where they're looking to grow. And so you're in this environment, what better opportunity to test wines and taste wines and hear from one of their master sommeliers who just happens to pop into your suite with a tasting. And, you know, it's just a great environment to marry and mesh the wine and the racing and the entertainment. And Bill's a great guy. And, you know, I haven't known him very long, but as I've gotten to know him as we're building this relationship and, you know, the foundation that we have formed so far, we're getting to know each other's brands and what's important to him. And this is a really solid beginning for all the things that are important to him. And like we do with every partner, we sort of lay out this grid of what matters to you. And, you know, now we're off checking the boxes of let's make it successful. And, you know, with every partner we have, we we added that extra box of continuous improvement and let's make sure that we're never being complacent because when we do these long-term partnerships, 10 years from now, your business is going to be a lot different than it is today, right? If you think about the things that didn't even exist in, you know, 10 years ago, we have to keep evolving the partnerships and we just can't keep doing the same things as a matter of routine. And they seem very excited and Bill specifically seems very excited to just keep learning as we go and and refining things and making things better. And we're just really excited for the first year. It should be, it should be phenomenal. I can't wait to my, you know, the conversation with, with Bill as well. What makes a good partnership in your mind? You know, I think it's finding the right fit and genuinely finding that right fit, right? And so we really approach sponsorships differently than most others in the industry. It's a mutual collaboration from the very beginning. My perfect world is we start in a room with a brainstorming session and a giant whiteboard. And we need to understand your brand. And so, you know, often that's like a chief marketing officer and his or her team maybe some PR folks, maybe some other, you know, media folks, but we need to make sure, you know, we'll do research beforehand, but you're never going to get the information as well as you get it when it's coming to you from the inside. And so we need to understand your brand and we will listen. One of my favorite expressions is you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, you know, listen, listen twice as often as you talk. (laughs) And so we will listen and process and take a lot of notes in these meetings. And then we will also share, you know, the history of the Kentucky Derby and what our brand is about and, you know, the, the different pillars of our brand and the different paths that could go, you know, could be explored from a, like a brand connection standpoint. And then, you know, we'll go back and ideate and kind of find those connection points and come back with an idea sharing of, you know, hey, here are five, six, seven things that we think might fit. You know, we never start with, I need to sell this thing. Let me go see what brand I can sell this thing to. And that's very apparent when you come to the racetrack and look at how the different partnerships come to life, no two are alike at all. Everything is very unique to their specific brands, yet also very respectful to the 147-year history of our racetrack. My NASCAR branding did not translate to the Kentucky Derby branding. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I know exactly what you mean. And for those, because this does make it outside of the NASCAR footprint in other parts of the world. For those that don't know NASCAR, um, notoriously, you you see a driver interview. I think these are the the, the most representative case. And nothing against NASCAR, but like there's patches for every logo that sponsors that driver on their suit. 
and uh, it's it's quite the quite the experience to see. But yeah, it, it's it, it sounds like I mean to our earlier conversation around what makes the Kentucky Derby so unique is it is this like melding of experience, fashion, a little bit of sports and racing, and um, and a lot of culture. Like I, I don't use that lightly, but it's just you know it's people congregating around a, a a singular love or passion, which is kind of interesting. Makes it really unique. Yeah, and we we have identified kind of the different fan segmentations of our fans as well, right? Some are here for the horses, some are here for that social environment, um, you know, some are here for the wagering component, and we can match brand interests with those subgroups of people too. And we can demographically segment the facility, right? There's a there's a party for everyone. And again, this is in a, in a typical year, not in a COVID year, but, you know, we've got, for example, a, a, a private jet partnership with Sentient Jet and the audience that they're interested in speaking to is probably confined to about, I don't know, five rooms of our, so we, so the way that we're set up, we have a very large infield, which is general admission where you have the opportunity. It's like a grounds pass in golf. You have the opportunity to walk around, but you don't have an actual seat to watch the race. And then for reserve seating, we have outdoor um, boxes and grandstands. And then we have three separate towers of interior seating. And some of that is private suites. And then some of that is rooms that are like semi-private rooms. And the rooms could have anywhere from, you know, a couple hundred people to like 800 people. Um, and you are at tables of, you know, six, eight or 10 people within each of those spaces. And, you know, we know the based on ticket cost, right, in, in part, um, but also based on studies that we do and, and data that we get from Ticketmaster and a variety of different sources, we can provide household income information and wealth information and purchase intent information. And so, you know, of the 170,000 people that are on site during our, you know, highest attended event, Sentient probably wanted to market to maybe 5,000 of those. And we can place their branding in the appropriate places where that is 100% efficient and effective. And so if you were in the infield, you had no idea who our private jet partner was because you weren't in their target market. You know, and, and that's something that's super unique for us because of how distinctive our facility is with the different spaces. You know, and there really is a party for everyone. So whether you want to reach everyone for your brand or whether you are, you know, specifically targeted on one end of the economic spectrum or the other, we can make it work. I'm sure a, a number of CMOs and marketers listening to this conversation, what advice would you give them? Like if they, they're focused on either identifying or negotiating a, a partnership deal, what advice do you have for them? You know, my, my fellow salespeople will hate me for this, but insist on that type of joint planning, right? We are not in this for the short haul at all. And you should not be either, right? If you're going to form a relationship that's going to elevate your brand, you want that, you want to look at that as almost like a marriage. And you want to make sure that you are truly buying what you need and not just buying what someone is trying to sell you. And so, you know, all of that exploration up front and clearly defining the goals up front and even the measures of success up front to whatever degree you can, 
is very, very important because, you know, what happens if you don't is you're two years into something and somebody's going to ask you to justify the spend. <laughs> and if you, if you haven't pre-established what those targets are, that's going to be a problem. So, you know, you really have to think to the future in the very beginning of the partnership. That's great advice. We've already, I, I want to switch gears and get to know you a little bit better. We already know you have a backup career plan. I'm just picking. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do love asking a number of questions just to kind of get to know you a little step back from the, the racing and the derby. And my, my favorite question to ask, frankly, is, you know, was there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? You know, I think it's not one specific experience, but it's a sort of amalgamation of a bunch of experiences and, and examples, right? I'm a quiet observer and people leave impressions on other people, whether they know it or not. And so, you know, I've seen a lot of mentors and anti-mentors in business, right? And, and it's like you, you know, I've had some, some bosses that I have really learned a lot from and tried to emulate as I've advanced my own career. And then there are people that I have worked with and, and learned to never be like those people kind of thing. So really seeing both of those has helped me model who I am, not only as a professional person, but as a person in general. And I mean, I'm a mother to four kids and I always try to model to my kids and think of it, think of that same philosophy in what I'm showing my kids. And, you know, my oldest is a, a sophomore in college and I hope I'm doing a pretty good job, but I think I am because we just had a uh, Zoom mother-daughter brunch with her sorority and she was asked to describe me in three words and she said selfless, ambitious, and strong. And I'm like, okay, I think that's wow. I think I did good. So <laughs> that made me that made me feel good. Yeah, for sure. Those are those are great adjectives. That's amazing. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over? I would tell myself to slow down, that uh life is a journey and not a destination. And uh, to just slow down and enjoy the ride a little bit more and not be too focused on the end result. A silly question, but I like asking it because I never know what people what people have purchased in their lives that have, have helped impact them. But I'm curious if you have a, an impactful purchase of $100 or less in the last year. Yes, my air fryer. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about this. <laughs> so I resisted. So I hate clutter. Um, in general, and especially on my kitchen counters. And so I resisted it for a long time because I'm like, I don't want something else that's like my sister has one of every kitchen device and, you know, they're all, and I'm like, God, your kitchen gives me anxiety. <laughs> but then actually my college daughter has one in her sorority house and was like, we got to get an air fryer. We got to get an air fryer. I'm like, all right, fine. We'll get an air fryer. I mean, I use that thing twice a day. <laughs> it's so easy. It's so healthy. And it's, yeah, I love it. Everybody needs an air fryer and it's worth, it's worth the clutter on your counter. All right. I'll have to check that out. I've heard about them a lot and people, to your point, like once you get one, people are really passionate about their air fryer. Yeah. I can't, I can't believe I'm saying this. Okay. I'm laughing at myself <laughs> while we're having this conversation. <laughs> no, it's funny. It's funny. 
I was curious, you know, you, you obviously come in contact with a lot of brands and, and I don't want you to feel like you're obligated to say the brands that you work with, but I just curious as a person, you probably interact with a lot of brands yourself. Like you buy stuff, you, you know, you watch what's going on around the, around the world. Are there any brands or companies or, or causes that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to answer that with the cause question. And so, you know, I think our next generation is really, really, really important. Um, and so I actually served for seven years on the board of directors of a um, domestic violence shelter here in Louisville. And I learned a lot about the secondary effects of, you know, witnessing trauma, right? So if you're a child and you're watching bad things happen between your parents. Um, but that actually is, is it happens in any form of violence. And so protecting children against violence directly, and then the like generational repeat of that, right? So the indirect impact is if they're seeing violence all the time, even if the, the violence is not against them, the impact of that when they become adults is pretty awful. And so that's, you know, there's, preventative things that can happen or actions that can be taken to protect kids and and help them recover from that trauma that they've seen as a child so that they don't repeat that in the next generation. Um, so I'm pretty passionate about that cause. That's amazing. Last question for you. I'm curious, as you think about marketers and marketing, what's your thought on like either the largest opportunity or the biggest threat that's facing marketers today? So I actually think it's the same thing. So the biggest threat is clearly, I think, complacency, right? So the world is changing so quickly and the consumer is changing too, you know, what their expectations are. And if you don't adapt your product or your service over time so that it continues to meet people's needs in meaningful ways, right? And maybe the air fryer is an example of that. You're going to become obsolete and your product or service isn't going to be needed anymore. And so if you flip that around, that's a huge opportunity to, you know, stay relevant and become the next, you know, evolve your product or your service to become the next most important thing in people's lives. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I love talking brand. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. 